0: Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. I don't remember what Ramiro said to me exactly, but I remember how it made me feel It made me feel low. It made me feel small. It made me feel ashamed of who I was. Now I'm 51 years old and I've done a few things. I have a wife and five children, have a granddaughter. But what happened in third grade, I don't remember what Ramiro said, but I remember how it made me feel. So my parents were missionaries, I grew up in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and uh, I went to an international school, union school, a lot of different nationalities, it wasn't a Christian school. Uh, There's a lot of wealthy kids there, missionary kids, we ain't wealthy, where's my missionary kids at? Yeah, you know, we'll have therapy later down in the coffee place. And I was fairly popular in my class, but I'm a chubby, stuttering, semi athletic kid in an international school full of beautiful, wealthy people, and Ramiro was one of them. Ramiro was one of those annoying people that was born with a six pack. <laughs> yeah. He was cut, he was wealthy. He was from this glorious biracial family that made him have a perpetual tan. He was a beautiful person, I'm sure he's great. I haven't seen him since in however many years it's been. But Ramiro was in sixth grade and Ramiro ran the school. He ran the elementary. You know kids like that, maybe you were that guy. He picked the team. He was always the captain. I don't know why they decided third graders and sixth graders should be at the same lunch. And again, I go back to, I don't remember what he said, but at age 51, I can still remember how I felt. And it cut right to the core beliefs, and I felt shame. My buddies, you know, my little third grade buddies, they were helpless to do anything, you know, they were like, oh, man, that's not you. Yeah, come here, man, he's just a bully and da-da-da-da-da. I don't remember what they said, and that, that was kind of nice. It got even better when uh, my, my sister, my older sister, she was in sixth grade, and her name was Joy, and somebody told her what Ramiro Castellon said, and so uh, she walked up, and I just saw this out of the corner of my eye, is my sister Joy walked up to Ramiro, and she gave him a little joy. <laughs> Caught him off guard. Cool. And he doubled over and everybody laughed. And that felt good. But it didn't take away what he said and it didn't really take away what I felt. Isn't that something? Do you have moments like that? Now I have other moments I could share with you I'm not going to because they're mine and we're not here to do therapy. But do you have moments like that? Moments where someone did something to you and you felt shame? Is there something that you've done? Something that you've told no one about? Is there a secret you're holding right now? You see, I know it sounds strange, but we're gonna kick off this week talking about shame. Our theme is declaring the word, proclaiming the word. And I know what CIU is about. I know the history of this school. I've heard the numbers about how many men and women have been launched into ministry from this institution but I don't believe until we accurately declare God's word to you and your heart, can you possibly make him known to anyone else? And in my work as a pastor, in my work as an itinerant, I talk to pastors, to missionaries, to their spouses, And it seems like shame is something that holds us back. Shame, shame, I looked up this definition, this is the best one I found. It's an intense, painful feeling or experience that makes you believe that you are flawed, unworthy of love, and unworthy of belonging. Shame is one of the worst feelings you can ever feel. Shame actually ignites in you a fight or flight response. These are the things we fight about. You're either going to fight when you feel shamed or you're going to run when you feel shame. And most of us don't like to look at it. And we certainly don't like to look at it when we just showed up for chapel on a Monday morning and you got a class in a few minutes. But the problem with shame is that it separates us from God, it separates us from one another, it separates us from true community. You know, that's the hot word, right? It's like, hey, how do do we have community with one another, community with God? You know, or or maybe you've heard somebody talk about the masks that people wear in church. You know why people wear masks in church? I'm not talking about COVID mask. I'm not starting that fight. I'm talking about the, you know, oh, how are you doing? I'm fine. If you've you've ever done that at church or talked to somebody at your church, you go, hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. And if you notice, the higher the octave in the voice, the bigger the lie is. I'm fine. You know, you see a mom with five kids and she's trying to pretend that the marriage is good and that she doesn't hate him right now and because he left with all the kids. And How are you doing? Oh, great, thank you. You lie in church. That's double jeopardy. Why do we wear masks? Because we feel separated from God, from one another. Because we feel less than, we feel diminished. And when we feel that way, we either fight it or we run from it. Why do you think people get angry? Have you ever met someone who anger is their thing, the rageaholic? Oh, it's just the way I was raised. I just get so angry. It's usually not the way you were raised. There's usually at the core of it some sort of shame Peace. Now, before I go further, and this isn't a lecture, okay, because there's smarter people here in the room that can do this for you. But as best I can tell is we have to understand this before we go another step. Guilt and shame are two different things. Guilt is when you do something bad. Guilt says I've done bad. You guys are tracking with me so far? Come on, C.A., just come on, Rams, help me out. Just give me this or a bat or something, right? Okay? It's all like Monday morning in chapel in here. Guilt says I've done bad. Are you tracking? So when you do something bad, you feel guilty. Guilt is useful. Guilt's a good thing. Guilt is related to conviction. Oh, I mean, if you never feel guilty about anything, there's a problem, okay? You're probably going to end up in prison or going to death row, right? So guilt is a good thing. Guilt says I've done bad, but shame is worse. Follow me now. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt is, I've done bad. Shame is, I am bad. And here's the problem. You and I, and we know this, you see i you've been to Bible class, you're gonna get out of here with a Bible minor if you stick around. We're made in the image of God. There's value and worth just in that. There's value and worth just in the fact that we're loved by God. Guilt says, done bad. Shame says, I am bad. So check this out. Shame is not from God. Shame is not from God. Shame comes from the accuser. You know, the scripture tells us about him. He's a He's the one who accuses, that he eternally accuses God's people. He's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a thief. He's a destroyer. Shame doesn't come from God. Shame comes from our accuser. Shame says to me, I'm unlovable. Shame says to us, you're unforgivable. Shame says... You're unworthy. And none of those are true. I have five children four daughters and a son. And I have a granddaughter. So I got five girls besides my wife in my life that are most precious to me. And you know what breaks my heart are the messages, the shame messages that the world sends to young ladies and now also young men. And every commercial, every movie, every television show, it's coming at you all the time, right ladies? Shame, shame, shame. You don't look right, you don't act like, you don't laugh at the right times. You're not the image of what the world tries to tell you who should be and, and, and the same messages are being told to the brothers. Are you one of these persons you wake up every morning and you look in the mirror and you hate what you see? That's not from God. It's from the accuser. Scripture says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Are you one of these persons that you ask Christ into your life, you ask him to forgive you of your sins, you know, you even got baptized, and you're, you're at CIU for crying out loud, I should be a Christian, why don't I feel forgiven? Why does that thing that I did or those things that I did or those places that I return to when I'm hurting, why does that haunt me? Why don't I feel it yet? It's shame. You starting to see how shame plays through? Statistics tell us that in a place like this, including down here and the balcony, that there are secret sins that abound, addictions even, even at CIU, even on the staff. Shame becomes this perpetual enslaver I feel bad because of that habitual sin I feel bad because of that addiction that I can't kick I feel ashamed about it and that perpetuates it so part of proclaiming God's word to our hearts first to understanding this gospel so I can actually make him known is this gospel's got to be real for me So I don't believe that shame comes from God. To understand shame, we've gotta go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, just to understand how it flows, right? So you guys know in Genesis chapter three, our first parents, they had an encounter with the accuser and the accuser convinced them that God was holding out on them and they should eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so our first parents did that. What happened immediately is they felt diminished. That was the first thing. They realized they were naked. Have you ever been caught? You remember that feeling when your mama or your daddy caught you? Oh, oh, oh! So y'all are just sinless. Well done. Okay. Well done. Good for you. No, I remember just the fright. You know. I mean, my mama wouldn't, you know, she said something to me and I, and I smarted off to her, you know, and, 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 uh, 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 she said, you wouldn't talk to me if your father was, or like that, if your father was here. And I said these words when I was about 12, well, he ain't here now, is he? And the moment they came out, I was like, no, take them back, reel it in. No, can we hit rewind? Stop the tape. This, Yeah. Man, I heard his car in the driveway, and I was already, man, I'm so sorry, daddy, I'm so sorry, He walked down the aisle, I can't help it, you know. That moment when you're caught, it's the moment of being exposed, the moment when everyone sees your sin and there's no place to hide, right? That's what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, is they realized they were naked, they were diminished. So what did they do? They hid. That's how shame works. That was the flight Then God comes walking in the garden and he calls out to the man, Where are you? Why are you hiding? And he says, Because we were naked. Who told you that you were naked? So Adam is explaining to them, I was hiding. You guys, we hide from each other all the time. We use our abilities, we use our talents, we use our degrees, we use our titles, we use our attitudes, we use comedy. We use even our imperfections in order to hide from one another so we won't really be known. Good luck with that in a marriage. Good luck with that. But that's what we do all the time. It could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing. We're all hiding behind something, just like our first parents. So God continues the conversation. Who told you that you were naked? What did you do? And do you remember what Adam does next? He fights. He fights. He picks a fight. He goes, Oh, yeah, that woman that you gave me. So now he's pinned and he had nowhere to hide. And it's the same thing that we do when we feel shame. You're exposed, you feel diminished. So we're afraid, and so we hide. We hide. Why do we hide? Because we feel unlovable, we feel unforgivable, and we feel unworthy. Now I wanna unpack something for you. This is just a little sidebar. This is for free, but I think it's important. Is Christians, were really good at two things. One thing is, you know, we talk about being unworthy. So you know all the little Christian ghettoisms that no one's quite sure what they mean? Sorry, Dwight, I can't resist this. But you know, does anyone really know what pressing in means? <laughs> Y'all press in down here in the south? Oh no, you don't press in, you lean in Pressing in and leaning in. I'm sorry if I'm hurting your feelings, but I'm just a redneck from northern Michigan. I'm not sure what that means, but Christians always be talking about pressing in and leaning in, right? So sometimes we start using language, we're not sure what it means. There's nothing wrong with pressing in or leaning in as long as we know what it means, right? Another thing that we love to do is we throw shame on people by telling them what they should do. Well, you know what you should do is, well, what if I can't do that? You just should on me. It's okay, CIU. That was intentional. Are <laughs> Christian's not great. It's a subtle form of shaming. This is why it's important, friends. Listen, listen. Some of us are afraid to deal with our shame because if I had no shame, how would I ever live the Christian life? We actually self-motivate by beating ourselves up. This is not Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Some of us don't know how to parent if we don't have shame. We use shame like a weapon on one another. Instead of being motivated by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ and making that known, instead of all the shoulds and the shame. I have used the words with my children. Shame on you. Why would I ever use shame? It's from the pit of hell. It's not from God. I don't believe it's from God. Guilt, yes. Conviction, yes. Stick with us this week. You'll hear some repentance sermons, but not shame. Not that says the message to you, you're bad because of the family you're from, because of what you did, because of what he did to you, because of what they said, because of what you look like, because of what you know, because of what you don't know, all of those are lies. And God forbid we become pastors and ministry staff and missionaries if we're still using shame to keep ourselves in check, to keep others in check and not motivated by Christ and his love for us. Second thing we do is we use words like unworthy. How many of you by show of hands say, I'm unworthy? Yeah, I'm unworthy of God's love. Just just throw it up there if you're, uh, yeah, that's bad. How, how many of you, I'm unworthy of God's forgiveness? Come on, be honest with the preacher. Don't lie to a preacher because, you know, you might get struck by lightning but or mauled by a bear. Yeah. You, you, yeah, you feel that way, right? I do too. And then I start studying this and I find out, no, when you read things in scripture that talks about us being unworthy, it means I'm unworthy of earning it. It doesn't mean I'm unworthy of it. To say I'm unworthy of God's love is this... Man, that feels like a slap in God's face. To say that he's, or or that, oh, I'm unworthy to be forgiven, that's to diminish what Jesus did on a cross, and that was a big day. Are you saying that wasn't enough? Why do we feel this way? Because of shame. Because this liar that makes us slaves, it's a shackle, shame is. Scripture says it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What that's saying to me is the only way I'm unworthy is I'm unworthy to earn it or pay it back. It's not by works. But if you still believe in I'm unworthy of his love, if you're still believing I'm unworthy of his forgiveness, you might still be a slave. And I wonder if. The truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel has truly been proclaimed in your heart. I gotta hustle. So how do we feel forgiven? How do we get shame free? I wanna share two scriptures with you and I'm almost done. And John, well, first of all, in Romans chapter 10, verse 11. This is a scripture I learned a long time ago when I wanted to lead people to Christ. It starts in verse nine, it says... Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Raise your hand if you've heard that or memorized that before. Just do it fast. Yeah, we've heard that before. And I used to tell people, hey, whenever you're studying the Bible and you see a therefore, always look... To see what the therefore is, therefore, you go to the verse before, but now I got to add something to it. Sometimes when you memorize something like this, you should look at what comes after. Because I don't know how many times I've quoted that, you know, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Because your heart you believe, and with your mouth you confess. Verse 11, here it goes For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Somebody get fired about that. You have a pulse, CIU. There's a verse. Leave it up there for a second. There's a verse. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? See, I used to think never be put to shame was someday when I stand before Jesus. No, that's present. Never be put to shame past, present, future. I don't have to be ashamed of who I am. I don't have to be ashamed of what I look like. I don't have to be ashamed of what I did. He took my shame on the cross. Do you believe that? If you don't, you don't believe the gospel. Oh, he paid for my sin. Yeah, but he also paid for my shame. The dark places of my heart, the dark things that you can't see. How do I feel forgiven? Well, if that verse is true, you might need to start believing that the gospel is for you and not just for the 1040 window. You might Start by believing that the gospel is for you and not just for the people you're gonna to minister to. That the gospel is for you and not just for people in faraway lands. It's for you, it's individual. Secondly, I would say this, And in, in, in John chapter 15, verse nine, this, this hit me like a truck. This is familiar, this is Jesus' last little prayer with his disciples, he's passing it on to us and in, in, in John chapter 15, verse nine, he says... These are words of Jesus now. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So the, as, as the father's loved me, so the father's loved Jesus, he's loved me the same way, abide in that love. You heard that verse before too? Just come on, wave at a preacher, make him feel good. All right, good. I know you have, I just read it to you. How many heard that verse? Let's do that again. All right. So as the Father loved Jesus, so as Jesus loved us, abide in my love. Well, if the Bible's true and the gospel is true and that verse is true and Jesus didn't lie, God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. No, 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 I can't, no. No, God is love, and if, just let that step on your toes for a minute. I mean, you can hang on to your shame if you want. You can keep that tiny little secret right down in here. No, I'm unlovable, I'm unforgivable. No, I'm unworthy. Okay, have fun with that. We'll see you in therapy. Or you can choose to start believing that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. What if CIU students were actually to begin to listen to the voice of love for them before they started sharing it with someone else, before they started shaming someone else? What if we were starting to believe that in the deepest places of our heart, with the secrets of our heart, with the things that we've done and the things that were done to us, the things that we've said and the things that have been said to us? What if we were to start to believe that God loves me just as much as he loves Jesus. So what's it look like for you? What's it look like to proclaim the word of God this morning, Monday morning, of this awesome week that has been prayed up, we're prepped, we, we have preachers that are locked and loaded spiritually? I'm to check. And I believe God wants to do something spectacular, but I think it starts with you looking in and letting God take that What would happen if we would believe the gospel for ourselves and if we begin to listen to the voice of love? She could hear the door burst open downstairs, loud voices, angry voices, men yelling. She was scrambling, she was afraid, she was ashamed. The man she was with bolted right out the window, just gone. She was looking for some clothes, she was grabbing a blanket, anything she could to wrap it around her. But they came up the steps so fast and the door burst open to the bedroom. There were men, they were angry men. They were religious men, holy men. They grabbed her by the hands, they were rough. What are they doing, how did they know they're dragging me down the stairs? Out into the street, there's people watching. I can't get this blanket around me. What if they see? What if they know? It was evening time, but it was still light. People are going to recognize her face. Where are they taking me? They're so rough, I can barely touch the ground with my feet. What do they want? Down an alley and into a larger square, and there's a big crowd. What are they here for? Oh, no, the crowd parts, and there he is. There he is, the one they've all been talking about, the rabbi, the one from Galilee, the one that I wanted to go here, but I didn't dare go near. What if he saw me? What if he knew? So I stayed away. Those hands, they threw her at his feet at the ground, and she just tried to disappear to get as low as she possibly could with one hand clutching the The blanket around her with the other hand just digging into the dirt, trying to get as low as she possibly could go. And then the accusation. Oh, I know what the law says. What I did, I should die. What I did, I should be stoned. I'm sorry, Mom. I'm sorry. And it was quiet, And she dared to peek up through the strands of her hair. What was he doing? He's bent down at my level. He's writing in the dirt. And then he's standing and he's speaking and he speaks with such authority. What's he saying? Let he who has no sin throw the first stone. This is it. I'm exposed. God, I'm so afraid. I'm sorry. She buries her head in the dirt, smudged with tears, now mud, waiting. And then she heard the sounds, thud, thud. Rocks falling out of hands and a shuffle of feet. And it's quiet again. She dares one more look up into the face of love. The rabbi says, woman, where are those who would condemn you? She uttered something. They're all gone, stating the obvious. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you know how Jesus feels about those dark places that you don't want to talk about, that you don't want anyone to know, either what you did or what was done? There's your picture. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray that your word by your spirit, would be proclaimed directly to our hearts in such a way that we can't run and we can't hide, but we won't run and we won't fight. Instead, we'll embrace and we'll receive and we'll believe and we'll choose, instead of listening to the lies, to listen to the voice of love. For your glory, Jesus, for our joy, and by the power of your spirit. And if you agree, say amen.